Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. Uh, we've just come back from seeing three billboards outside, uh, outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Uh, and I'm drinking Campo Viejo. <laughs> because you are middle class. <laughs> because you understood what it meant. <clears throat> um, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about three billboards. Well, what didn't you like? We can exchange first our, our reservations. I think... I think the th- the film, it's, it's almost like a good film and a bad film sellotape together. Mm. The, the, all the stuff about grief and uh, loss and how... Um, Francis, oh, by the way, spoilers coming up. Yes. <laughs> um, all the stuff about grief and loss and Francis McDormand's character uh, sort of being energised by that and by her anger at not having heard anything about... Um, the, the death, the rape and the murder of her daughter mm. in seven months. She turns it into a kind of mission mm. um, and is fueled by anger. And the, the idea of basically anger begetting further anger mm. and being fueled by hate, just kind of this vicious circle, uh, I think is great. And I think it's, yes. it's a good idea and it's portrayed really well. Yes. Um, I, and I guess I, I've got to express the same reservation that I've heard a lot of people expressing, which is the stuff on race is tonally really weird to say to, to say the least of it, if not really misjudged, I felt. Okay, I didn't feel that as strongly as other people. Yeah. Uh, though, though I think your point about tonal... Um, t- tonal mismatches uh, is something that I latched onto. I mean, some things just felt misjudged and odd and I think it actually has to do with with a cultural dislocation that the film is participating in so for example you know what you see you watch English films or actually in English culture whatever and when people use the word cunt it has a context really and you know I might not like it but it doesn't jar and creep me out you see it in an American context and it jars and creeps me out. It's like, you know, it's completely an, an unacceptable term to use in, you know, a North American context. You almost never hear it, yeah. right? Where it's, it's almost like a common swear word in England, right? So to have these American characters voice that language sounded odd to me. Uh, you know, to, to have the N-word used in this context sounded odd and misjudged to me. Uh the variety of accents in this small town in Ebbing, Missouri, fucked me off. Yeah, well, there's like, there's you like know. a. I think American actors have a case against the use of British actors in American cinema, you know, and this was an example of it. Which one? I mean, there's only one in one non-American in it. I think there's an Australian. There's an Australian. Uh, there's an Irish uh, uh, person, uh, you know. And it just feels odd. There's that Abby Cornish. There's the wife of Woody Harrelson. Sounded like she had an English accent. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah, so there's there's one from Ireland. There's one from Australia. I'm just going through them here. <laughs> uh, there's one from Yugoslavia, but I don't think he has very much to say. Anyway, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But it seems to me that if you're casting a film about Ebbing, Missouri... 
you can find mm-hmm. American actors to play those roles. Or at least, if they're not American actors, to have them play with an American accent. Mm-hmm. You know, having kind of, you know, all this Euro trash floating around Ebbing, Missouri seemed odd to me. And particularly in conjunction with that fierce performance that Frances McDormand gives. You know, that restrained anger. She's like a, she's like a wife painting or something. Right. And it just it, it really pissed me off. I do think you're slightly overstating the Eurotrash aspect of this, although I agree with you generally when that happens. Um, and I think particularly in the context of black actors, uh, I think uh, Samuel Jackson, who's made the point before that uh, black actors just don't get the roles. Um, and there's such a kind of cultural uh, context to having grown up black in America that when you're playing uh, to, to get to get English actors in who play those roles is actually it's disappointing or it's uh, just wrong it, to have it, that. But in this case, I've just but, had a look. There are two Australians and one Irish. Well, you know, um, and they're, they're minor characters. I don't know, right? But there were just like three or four four times in the film. That's all you need, where somebody comes in and mm. speaks with a, with an English accent, or it might be an Irish accent. But speaks, you know, with with one of those accents in Ebbing, Missouri, and you think that's mm. completely unnecessary. Where did that come from? To be honest, what I noticed more was Woody Harrelson being Texan and just showing. <laughs> I mean, again, there's no good reason that you shouldn't really be Texan and living in Missouri, but um, that was the one that stood out for me. Really. Well, how interesting that that's you know. I mean, you can imagine a Texan living in Ebbing, Missouri, you know, but like three Brits or whatever, like forget it. It's just absurd. And actually, it's upsetting. It's just bad decisions. And if you think that a film is made up of a whole bunch of small details like that, mm. that's a major flaw. Because every time they open their mouth, you think you don't belong here. Okay. Um, that, that was a minor thing for me, I've got to say. Um, well, it's a minor thing, but it's part. to me it's just part and parcel of this misjudging of tones, mm. right? That's an absolutely archetypal example where you don't think that something like that, you don't even imagine it'll jar, and it does. Mm. You know, just the same way as, like, some of the language does. Talking about tone, the thing that, that, that was most jarring for me in terms of the way that the, the film jumps between tones is um, a lot of the humour. Martin McDonough, the writer-director, is, is well known for you know, kind of snappy dialogue and witty mm. uh, sort of verbal interplay from In Bruges and Seven Psychopaths, although I didn't think very much of Seven Psychopaths. Um, but I think that's kind of something you expect from, from, from his writing... Uh, to the point where actually in this, when it shows up, I think he the film is slightly different, and the film has such a meditative tone at points that the 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 more jokey stuff very often feels quite out of place and stilted. Um, I'm thinking particularly of a moment where towards the start of the film, uh, Francis McDormand has put up these billboards. And uh, that are basically attacking the police for not investigating um, the, the, the crime. So she's called into the police station. Sam Rockwell's character, the racist cop, is uh, talking to her, and she teases him. She, he's he's clearly got a history of being aggressive towards black people. Uh, in particular, there seems to be one uh, event where, uh, using his badge as a police officer. Um, he tortured uh, a black person. Yes, everybody all over town says it. Everyone all over town says it. And Francis McDormand's character says, how's the nigger torturing business? And he says, it's the people of colour 
torturing business. You got yes. it. You, he's, he's, and, and and it starts up this this joke. It's almost like fucking. It's just about the wordplay. It's about it's got to be this, not that. And it's and you go, how, who, what is the purpose of this joke? Yes. Um. Who's laughing at this, right? Yes. Is the joke just the casual use of the N-word? Or is the joke that... I guess the joke is that he takes the the words... The, the use of the word is important. You have to get the, the term right because we're so PC now or whatever. But the fact that he's tortured a black person as a cop is not as important. Mm. But I, I, I'm just really struggling with it because it's just played off... For laughs, and and it's it kind of leads nowhere. I, I don't I don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the film, and again, I think there's there's a cultural dislocation thing happening in the film, because I think the film goes out of its way to be racially sensitive, actually, but it does so by the numbers, right? So it actually it has no understanding of what it might be like to live in Ebbing, Missouri, and indeed in any other American city. So the thing is, you know, you have the, you know, the black co-worker of, uh, of the Francis McDormand character, you know, and you have this thing where the police chief comes in and, you know, is then the boss of all these races. And, you know, uh, there's a conversation uh, you know, with the guys putting up the billboards and the cops, right? Mm. So I think it's trying to be sensitive. Oh, that's the point, though. It's you know? really trying. It's trying so hard that it's laughable. Yeah. Actually. So, for uh, instance, Sam, Sam Rockwell's character is this racist cop. Um, uh, as we've established, he's the kind of central racist figure. And actually, he has this redemption narrative, which is... We'll get on to it. But um, uh, he's he's very pissed off at one point in the film and he goes across the road from the police station to the billboard company that's that's been putting up these billboards, um, beats the crap out of the guy who runs the company, uh, knocks out his secretary. Throws him out the window. Throws him out the window. Knocks out his secretary. Goes back downstairs. Uh, walks over the, the guy's bloodied body uh, back into the police station, all in one take. Mm. And standing outside the station when he returns watching all this is the new chief of police who's been sent to replace Woody Harrelson's character mm. um, who is black uh, and then basically his first act upon taking charge of the police station in Ebbing is to fire the guy mm. and it's like it, it's 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 like uh, the film is sort of going wrapped it up mm. you know the guy the, the, the awful racist has done something horrible and a black man has uh, fired him so that's a sort of justice mm. I think it's kind of worse than that in a way because, you know, the, the, that character is really redeemed by uh, Woody Harrelson's letter. Yes. Uh, so, so I don't know. I mean, I think on the one hand, there are some very brave things here. So, and there's, there is an incredible use of language. I mean, it's the first film I've seen in a long time where just dialogue makes people laugh out loud and really wholeheartedly, right? Like... There are bursts of laughter just at, at the use of language in, in the film, mm. which I thought was wonderful. So, you know, but it's very hit and miss because there are some things like that that are just absolutely fantastic. And there are some things that you feel are just really misjudged, yeah. you know. Uh, so, so that thing about the tone, I think, is very important. You know, the other thing that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, I was going to swear again and say, pissed me off. <laughs> it's like, you know, they have like this whole conversation about 
you know, oh, you know, uh, Francis McGorman's ex-husband's new 19-year-old girlfriend. Mm. And actually, to me, every other woman in this film who wasn't Frances McDormand or her colleague at the shop looked 19. Yeah. I mean, Woody Harrelson's wife looked 19. She might be 25. Yeah, she looked like his kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, right? yeah. So, so actually, you think, who did the casting for this film? Because there are such wonderful things, like the mother, right? Uh, Sam Rockwell's mother is just like a wonderful visually wonderful right mm. you know so you find all these great character types and then you cast 19 year old girls in every you know other role it's just it, you know it makes you question you know. I, well I, I can't believe in the reality of the town you know the fact that it's a southern town is yeah. kind of integral to the story and this is what I think there's you know there's there's a kind of a dislocate a cultural dislocation I don't think kind of you know an American from the south would have you know, would have created this mix of people that people this town. Mm. You know, I think the whole racial thing would have been completely different. I think there's a kind of a lack of knowledge and understanding that's evident. Yeah. You know. So, but anyway, those reservations aside... I think those reservations are really important, though, because to me they mar the rest of the film. I mean, thinking particularly about the, the, the arc of the Sam Rockwell character... Well, that's Sam Arkwell is not very good in this at all. I mean, there, you know. No, I agree. I think he's a very poor actor, and there were moments that I think he's a very good actor, but he doesn't. Perform well, he's well not very good in this, no. you know. Uh, and he misses some big moments. And again, it's a question of tone. You know, the bit where he's dancing to Abba, right? Mm. It's just off. It's well, it's this kind of slightly quirky aspect that the film is kind of there is there's there's little purpose to it. It doesn't yes. add up to anything, and it's it's. That's why it comes off as quirky and stupid, and yes. Um, but but think particularly about his redemption, though. Like the film kind of becomes about the film really is about Frances McDormand's character and her and her grief and 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 how she's kind of trying to cope through action. She's so great. Um, but then the film shifts onto let's let's turn Sam Rockwell's character. Let's give him redemption, and the redemption comes from not from him changing as a person, but from him being told in a letter that. He's good inside, yes. and that he needs to love people if he's going to be a good. Yes, detective. and that he needs to come out. Yeah. Um, well, you can get onto that. Um, uh, but it's it's about being told. You don't actually see him improve really as a person, mm. and then he's kind of given the opportunity to try and to, to try and solve the case. Although ultimately, uh, he he follows a lead that doesn't pay off. But um, and then he also he also forgives Francis McDormand's character for burning down the police station and burning him because mm. um, he was in it at the time though she didn't know that but like he it's it's quite obvious that he knows that and, and he's forgiven her so that's nice mm. but like wh- why am I being asked to care about the feelings of a horrible guy who I don't care about from the start and the film's not really about him yes well it becomes about him though that's the point yeah. Uh, so I think it's, I, that's I, what I think is a misstep. Well, I think you're right that it is a misstep. So I mean, I think there are many missteps. So let's dwell a bit on what is really, really great yes. about it, right? Because I think you know there are things that I think are really great. I mean, first of all, Frances McDormand's character, and actually almost her whole character arc, I like. You know, uh, she's got like this this kind of restrained, seething anger that sometimes you know bursts into violence, and is also kind of capable of great and surprising tenderness you know I thought uh, the scene with her husband 
Well, you know, I think that's just an amazing scene. Where he gets her by the throat. Yeah. Mm. So the husband comes in and basically accuses her of killing their daughter, of being responsible for their daughter's death. And there's a moment of anger where he just grabs her by the throat, pushes her against the wall, and he has a history of having been an abusive husband, of beating her up. That's what destroyed their relationship. And then kind of the son takes a knife and puts it on his father's throat. It's like to protect the mother. It's really powerful. And then it all comes down. Mm, it's undercut by the 19-year-old girlfriend coming in yeah. and being, oh, sorry, I'm here. Well, no, I, think it's, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think the moment of shift is the father's acknowledgement that it's his son with a knife on his throat. Oh, do you think so? I did. I thought it was the attempt to turn it into a joke. No, well, it, that, it, the, the girlfriend then comes in and there's an attempt right. to do that. You know... But it's the son, it's, it's the father's acknowledgement that the son is doing that, that kind of, you know, shifts the moment. And then actually that's almost immediately followed by a kind of a very tender moment, right? With the, you know, with the Frances McDormand character holding her ex-husband's hand, right? And kind of saying, I do understand, right? Like, mm. you know, so there's like this deep love between them. So, you know, the combination of the, this explosive anger, this violence, and then, like, this tenderness, and all kind of mingled into one scene, I thought was just magnificent. It was, like, yeah. Shakespearean, really. I, th- I think that scene is really great, apart from the interruption from the daughter, which I think is is too stupid, too silly. It's not the daughter, it's the girlfriend. Uh, yeah, sorry, the girlfriend. <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> not my fault, the film fucking... Just, it's, it's all about... Queens. Yes, there's a there's a there's a pedophile element to the film, which is very interesting because the Frances McDormand, when the priest comes to tell her to take the billboards down, she tells this story about the gangs in LA mm. and basically, you know, the law being changed so that if you're a member of the gang, you're responsible for a crime even if you personally haven't committed it, mm. because you become a member of this gang who does crimes. And she basically tells the priest, you know you're a member of a gang that condones or that um, uh, 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 basically abuses children. So you are responsible for this abuse, right? So don't come preach at me, right? Mm. So, so you know, the film has this thing about the pedophile priests. And then actually the film is itself its own, like, basically pedophile project, putting, you know, putting together 60-year-olds with, like, 19-year-olds. It's actually, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really offensive I think and, and actually that there's a lack of awareness around it that's, is I even worse I think that's the key though I think actually it's 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 so blind to the way it looks the way it comes across I think um, which is why tonally it's, it's where it's tone deaf I mean yes. actually that scene you talked about just then about where, where she monologues to the priest about uh, the crypts and the bloods and then relates it to the Catholic Church I think is a perfectly nice idea but it it does it stands out in the context of the film it doesn't lead to anything it doesn't go anywhere it's this monologue that comes out of nowhere it's like a tarantino monologue of just mm. of just like a, a set piece that doesn't relate to anything mm. um again i think it sticks out despite being kind of interesting on its own yes um i mean it's interesting because you know you watch in bruges and it's like pitch perfect yeah, throughout. Yeah, there's nothing like that in, yeah. in, in Bruges. And whereas like, you know, this, you know, it has moments like that. And then it has moments where it's just off pitch entirely, right? Like it kind of... It doesn't It's, it's tone deaf. That's right, you it know. Is. 
so, so, so even when we try and talk about the stuff we like, we still end up talking about, well, it ends up doing this, that, and the other. Because I think the central thing that I really like, there are two central things I really like. One of them is that I genuinely didn't know where the story was going to go. Yes. Which is actually pretty rare. Mm. You, you start off with this, with this brilliant conceit of um, the outraged, grieving, desperate, angry mother... Um, getting the police's attention, getting the public's attention with these billboards. Yes. Uh, and from then, you, I, I had no idea what was going to happen, really. Yes. Uh, um, and the, I guess the film, you know, the film ends up in a place which I didn't expect, but, you know, I didn't expect to, there to be kind of continuing violence. I didn't expect... Um, I didn't expect for her to decide to go off and kill someone else at the end in a kind of... Sort of, sort of misguided revenge, or just taking out her anger. Mm. Um, uh, so I think that's great because I was genuinely surprised the whole way through and engaged. Nice. And and the other thing that I like, as I say, is is the 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 treatment of the grief um, and the treatment of of the anger. And there are moments, the, the kind of interiority of Frances McDormand's character. You feel everything that she feels. Yeah. She's completely great in this, actually. Um, I you know, it's actually like, quite she's like a different order of great. Like, you know, it's a truly great performance. I think, for example, that Woody Harrelson also is is really good. Like, mm. as soon as he leaves the film, the film deflates. It loses something when it loses him. I was gonna, Actually, I disagree with that. Um, I think his character is really good. I think he's very good as well. But So his, his character kills himself. Um... Uh, his character is the chief of police, and he kills himself. And the and the, the townsfolk assume that it has something to do with him being attacked by Francis McDormand's character through these billboards. Mm. And and it's not. It's to do with the fact that he has cancer. And he doesn't want to see his wife and children suffer mm. as he suffers through his cancer. Mm. And he sends these letters. Uh, one of them's to his wife. One of them's to Francis McDormand. One of them's to the racist cop, explaining what he thinks. And and as the characters read these letters, they do. He he voices them over from Beyond the Grave, and he injects these n- n- nice little bits of humour into them where he says, sorry, I'm dead. Yes. Stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think I think actually the film is really alive at that point, and I think his character is interesting because I kind of assumed, I suppose, that he would continue, to, he would be, in, as, as one who is in charge of a band of racist cops, mm. um, I assumed that he would kind of be like that too, well, but the, actually he's, he's quite simple. Well, that's a fault in the film because how could you condone? How could you be the chief of all of these racist cops and continue to let them be racist? And yeah, well, yeah, like, he, he says the one I think, point. I think if, the characters misjudged really. a little bit. He says at the one point, um, uh, if we got rid of all the racist cops, there'd only be three left, and they'd all hate faggots. <laughs> um, uh, so he's, you know, he's sort of accepted his lot in a way. But you're right. I mean. It is misjudged, and the character actually, if the character is really a good person as he otherwise is, he should do more about that. I take I take what you say about the letters. The letters inject inject this humor and so on, right? And of course, he gives them voice. Excuse me, but um, I do think that as soon as he leaves, the film deflates. It misses him, mm. right? And you know, maybe that's why you appreciate the letters when he reappears. But the thing is that I think Woody Harrelson is wonderful, but he gives almost like a kind of a star performance, right? It's, yeah, like it's a Woody Harrelson performance and you appreciate him and you like him and so on. I just wanted to kind of contrast it to Francis McDormand, who, you know, it's like you feel the grief and the anger and the guilt, 
really and the orneriness in almost every pore you know mm. she's often like quite still really and i just think it's a it's a truly great performance mm. right so i think she does something extraordinary woody harrelson is very good and he shines you know he's he yeah he's a star really and and as soon as he leaves the film the film loses a bit of glow and shine and energy right but you know McDormand is prodigious really I know what you mean but I don't think it's a problem that it loses him because I think if the film then continued to focus uh, more on Francis McDormand than it does I think it would that's where I think the real core of the film is the fact that it the, the fact that it kind of tries to play her and Sam Rockwell's stories pretty much equally is a mistake. It's a mistake because the but I think it's tied to Woody the Woody Harrelson because the thing is that you have Frances McDormand and she's got this anger and grief and you know close softness to the world and, and you know and and rage really, and then you have Woody Harrelson who's like really warm and yeah kind of you know and I think kind of there's a chemistry there and as soon as he leaves. The film becomes silly. I mean, it just becomes stupid. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, so, you know, I think it does miss him. Um, this thing about like throwing people off a window and whatever, like you know, there are jokes that don't work. There are extreme situations that kind of don't pay off. Really. Well, ultimately, the problem with the thing about throwing out the window is that is is um, that Sam Rockwell should go to jail for exactly. that. Exactly. You know, and why hasn't he? He's fired, but that's it. He should go to prison. Absolutely. Especially as the cop coming in and punishing him and firing him doesn't know anything about him. It's yes. like he, he's so d- dispassionate about it, he should be happy to put yes. him in prison for it. I was a bit upset also about, you know, um, the actor playing the cop that comes in to replace him, whose name I can't remember. Mm. But he's a great actor uh, from The Wire uh, and also from that television series, Treme. He appears in Treme as well, you know, and I think actually that the film doesn't make good use of him, you know, kind of an actor who was in The Wire and Treme. Clark Peters. Yeah, wouldn't kind of put up with that shit in that police station. He should have come in like, <laughs> you know, you know, Sidney Poitier in the heat of the night or something kind of, you know, there should be, or, or worse, like, you know, like Shaft, really. Instead, it's just like this placid kind of... It's a problem that the film is takes such an interest in race when it doesn't need to, and the fact that when it does, it thinks it's being kind of right on, and it thinks it's being uh, ambiguous, maybe, um, like, like in a kind of make-your-own-mind-up type of way. But basically, the, the, the black characters in this film um, have no character. They're, they have no That's dimensionality. True at all or kind of inner lives or anything like that you don't feel that they are so symbolic no mind you the inner life that uh, uh, who's the director's name Martin McDonough that McDonough gives even some of the white characters is just stupid and unbelievable like you know do you believe in the character that Sam Rockwell plays do you think he's human do you think people like that exist I don't this character's being defined by just one thing and all the black characters are defined by being black. And, he, and, and Sam Rockwell's character is defined by being a racist hick. Yes. And that's and so there's no dimensionality to it to either of them. Woody Harrelson and Francis McDormand's characters are rounded and interesting. Also, I think there's something kind of slightly homophobic about it, really, because, you know, the Sam Rockwell character is really coded as being a repressed homosexual. 
right? And the film basically says so, right? So and, he listens to ABBA. He listens to ABBA. <laughs> you know, there's the letter from the Woody Harrelson character saying, you know, pretty much so. You know, well, in in what way? I remember him saying that he he you needs to learn to love, even though he's oh that's right. He says you're going to call me gay for saying this, but you need to learn to love if you're going to become a good detective. But also, the letter says, "Who cares if people call you gay?" Yes, you know, uh, 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 yeah, uh, kind of the people who do arrest them for being homophobic, right? right? Yes. So I think there is this actually. You know, and Woody Harrelson's letter says, come out, you know, like everybody knows you're living with your mother and like, you know, kind of you don't have any girlfriends and what, and you know, you're mm. 40 years old. Like, I think that's implied. Yeah, no, you're, you're quite right. Um, so, um, so anyway, I don't know. I, kind the, of, I think the film is trying to kind of equate uh, anger with racism and homophobia by sort of, it's kind of weird because in some ways I agree that like when people are racist and homophobic, um, they are victims in some ways, and actually they would be healthier people if yes. they weren't. Yes. But at the same time, you can't tolerate it. Yes. Um, and 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 kind of, you know, kind of explain it away or yes. dismiss it as being. You're wh- so wise, Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> the, the film, the film is kind of in a tricky spot, and it sort of puts itself in a tricky spot. And actually, these are these questions worth considering. I don't think it's a problem that the film wants to take on these questions, really. But um, to, to kind of play them off as jokes or to deal with them so stupidly yes. is a problem. True. Though, on the other hand, you know, in comparison to the film that we talked about in our last podcast... In our last podcast Darkest Hour. Which is Darkest Hour. I think, you know, this is a film that will stay with me... You know, and that kind of will give lots to talk about in that... That's definitely true. And that it's rich, you know, and that it's a reference point. I mean, some of the scenes I really do think are, are like almost Shakespearean in, you know, the, the, the kind of nuanced and articulate expression that they put forth, yeah. really. So, so, you know, there's all these misses, but then there's still those incredible moments. And there's Francis McDormand, you know who I just think um, is, is really extraordinary. The problem is that there are things that I really, really loved, um, but I'm really struggling to uh, elucidate them because what I found flawed really overshadowed it and is, and is, I guess, in some ways also easier to talk about. I mean, really, when I talk about what I liked about the film... All, all the words I keep coming back to are grief and anger and the way it depicts them and Francis McDormand's performance. That's not really saying anything, but well, I know I love that. Yeah, it is saying something, though. And I think kind of, you know, we also talked about the language. So we talked about how sometimes the tone is off. But actually, this thing about the audience laughing out loud, you know, uproariously at, at the use of dialogue is something really quite incredible. And it's worth remarking that not all of the audience did at once, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you'd have like four or five people in the in the audience, like just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of losing control over a phrase, right? And the rest of the audience not necessarily getting it or not necessarily mm-hmm. responding in the same way. I thought that was kind of really fascinating and and great, really. Like there were moments where it just hits the bullseye, you know. What you say about about it being kind of reference points interesting because we were talking earlier about Wall Street yeah. which is 1984, 86? 87. 87. 
Um, and how that's not a great film, it's a decent film, mm. but what it really is is a zeitgeist film, yeah. and it's a film that tells you about its era, and I think that this film could probably do the same in future. It's talk- um, really? talking, yeah, in, in, the way, in the way it talks about certain things. It, it's not just what it says, but it's also the way it says it and kind of what's behind it, I think, speaks about kind of where we are as a society at the moment. Yes. Well, actually, you know, it is a film that, in, in a way, you're right, because it combines, like, a Me Too moment with an also-white moment, you know, it's like mm. kind of, you know, the big kind of Twitter discourses of the past year in this one yeah. are somehow all combined in this film. Well, it's like tonally it was, deaf. And, <laughs> and also t- talking, talking about um, police brutality against black people, yes. uh, which has been an increasing um, uh, problem or increasingly noticed problem in the States in the last few years. Um, and I think, I think it's not just that the film is talking about it, but it's kind of the way it talks about it and the way it's kind of clueless about it too um, speaks to sort of where we are. Yes. There's one other thing about the uh, racist cop character, yes. which is that his name's Jason Dixon. And so what do you make of that name? Well, so it's clearly a reference to the Mason-Dixon line, uh-huh. which kind of symbolically and realistically separated the North and the South in the USA in the early 1800s. Mm. Um, and I think actually it was it was I think it was legally demarcated where slavery was and wasn't mm. uh, legal. Mm. So I don't know why I'm to make of that exactly. The film is clearly drawing um, uh, on, on a reference um, to America's history of of institutionalized racism um, in the racist character's name, but. I don't know. Is it another? Is it another element where the film is being essentially clueless about something? It's. I mean, it's literally a symbol I, of racism. I, it is, but you, you know what I, I, what I didn't like about the film, which I thought was cruel and harsh and unnecessary, is why do you have to make the Sam Rockwell character so stupid? Right. It implies that only really stupid people are racist or nasty or mm. unkind, right? And I think actually you could be, you could have a modicum of intelligence or actually even be very intelligent, you know, and be a racist for reasons that have nothing to do with intelligence, mm. right? So to make this, this character so stupid... It allows, it, it allows you to dismiss the racism. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. Uh, actually, the fact that racism is, is institutional and built into the systems... Um, is much more serious yes. and much more kind of threatening. And to be able to play it off as it's the stupid guy who's the racist one. Yes. Um, is, you know, yeah. But you can be stupid and find your heart. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and you can, turn out, you can turn out to be smart enough to get beaten up by the guy so you can mm. get his DNA. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah, I kind of... That was stupid. Um... Anyway, I do think that we haven't highlighted the film's um, achievements, you know, well enough. I well, I mean, we, you can't we, be quick. I need to go in a minute. Okay. I need to go quite... No, well, I think I've, you know, I think I've said it. I mean, for me, the highlights are the incredible use of dialogue. You know, Frances McDormand's just, you know, I think it's one of the performances of the decade, really. I think kind of Woody Harrelson is terrific... Uh, in the film and then I think that there are some scenes that are just so alive and and complex 
you know, that kind of bring in all of these contradictions and kind of expresses them so clearly that are actually amongst the best things I've seen in cinema all year, really, even though they're like brief flashes or, or scenes. It's not a sustained work, mm. right? But kind of some scenes are as great as any I've seen in cinema, actually. Francis McDormand looks like Tom Waits. Harsh. I think it's true. Harsh. I don't, I'm not saying that's a criticism. You do or you are. Well, you no, know. no, I'm just saying I, they look the same. How else can one understand that? Tom Waits. <laughs> you're, the one who, you're the one who thinks Tom Waits is butt fugly. I love Tom Waits, but well, you you're know, the one saying it's not because of. I didn't say it is an insult. It's not because of his looks. I didn't say it is an insult. I just said she looks like Tom Waits. I think she does. Well, I don't. Well, when you look at pictures from side by side, you will not be able to tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until they start speaking. Cut this out. No. <laughs> this is the most important bit. I think, actually, the things that bothered me most, in a way, um, you know, like, like you said, you know, when I was saying, oh, there's all these actors who are not uh, American. You say, oh, well, it's only three or four. But actually, I think, to me, that's, that's the key to the criticism of the film. You're right. It might only be three or four. But actually, three or four jarring moments in a film that is completely un- unnecessary. You know, the, you know, kind of, they need not have been jarring, right? They're easy to fix. Mm. Shows a kind of a carelessness and a kind of arrogance, actually. You know, and I think that's true of, you know, the casting of all these young women, you know, that kind of just feels completely off. It's like Gary Cooper and Audrey Hepburn, really. It's like, the, you know, the, the difference in age is just so vast that it becomes kind of a, you know, just a point of insensitivity, mm. really. You know, so Frances McDormand is the lead actress. She's the heart of the film. And then you're casting 19-year-olds and every other, practically every other female part in the film. Mm. It's absurd. Yeah. Weird movie. Soft kilter. And, but it probably rewards further viewing. Yes. There's a lot, lot of food for thought. And also, I think it's worth saying that it's off kilter, but it has truly great moments. Yeah. You know? It does. Which actually, 99% of every film doesn't have any great moment at all. So actually... And it's an original script. Yes. And that's nice. <laughs> With a surprising... And, the, and as you said, it surprises, it takes you in directions that you don't think it will take you, and that includes the end. Yes. Even so, though, even though it redeems a character who doesn't deserve it. Yes. That said, <laughs> I would recommend it. Yeah, I would recommend people see it. That's for sure. Yeah. But you know, if you listen to this, you have seen it. So. No, that's not true. I think it's probably true. No, it's not. Well, I, well, well. If you listen to this and not seen it, then we ruined it. So. That's true. Yes. So actually, you should see it before listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> eavesdropping at the movies, we spoil every picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, so let's end it here. Uh, I, I guess we should we should say you know we're on Twitter at eavesdrop movies. We're on Facebook eavesdropping at the movies. We uh, there's a website eavesdropping at the movies dot com. We're everywhere and nobody listens. <laughs> You don't have to sound so bitter about that. Uh, I don't think it's not bitter at all. It's kind of a point of... It's what makes us truly visible. independent. Is yes. we, no one pays us and no one listens. That's right. <laughs> and we keep yammering on anyway. <laughs> okay.